knows this story about David in the Bible? Does anybody know about David? I'm very high up here. Can you bring me down a bit? There we go. Jacob, what did David do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anybody else? Chantel. Oh, he killed the bear. Oh, okay. What did he kill? He, said he didn't look after the bear. The bear. The bear. <laughs> At this thing. Oh, good job. Sorry, I didn't catch that. <laughs> and the lion. He did. Chantal, what else did David do? He was a shepherd and he fought Goliath. Alrighty. He killed Goliath. He did. But I wanted to just take the story of David back a little bit. And what happened at the very start where David was a shepherd. You know, there's a guy called Samuel and Samuel was a prophet of God and he would, and he would um, go around telling messages from God from heaven and everybody would listen. And he was a bit scary sometimes. So people would go, oh, what's he coming here to tell us? But he came to this little town of Bethlehem and uh, he, God had sent him to choose another king because King Saul had been misbehaving. Yeah, yeah he did. You remember that one? Hang on, Bella. He had. So God said, right, we need another king. And so he sent him to a guy named Jesse who had seven sons. Who's got seven brothers? Nobody. Imagine having seven brothers. So I'm going to get some people to help today. All right. Now, David, he had seven brothers and David was the youngest. So he was the littlest dude. Yeah? Yeah. Who's the youngest in your family? Who's, who's the youngest here? Isaac? Me, me. Lily, yep, no. <laughs> Ruby? Isabella, you're the youngest at the moment. Yep. Joshua? <laughs> um, <laughs> Jade, you're the youngest, are you? <laughs> anyway, he had seven brothers. And, you know, all the brothers were very strong and muscly. So who's the strongest, biggest person in the room? Can we see the biggest? Christian, can you come here? Can we get Christian to show off his muscles? Look. <laughs> all right. So he was the biggest brother. He was the biggest brother and he had a funny name. So we'll just call him Eb. <laughs> All right, and, and David, he, they were all having this party, this big celebration. Um, Samuel came and he called every, all the town elders and all the people, all the important people. Hang on, Bella. And, and, he called, and Jesse called all his other sons. So we need six other big, buffy blokes. So Stuart, John, come on, John. You play footy, you're big. Andy, you are not a kid. Up you go. Isaiah, you're going to have to help. Come on. <laughs> How many have we got? Where's, where's Ivan? Philip, you have to go. <laughs> All right, how many have you got? One, two, three, four, five. How many have we got? Three, four, five, six. No, no, we don't need him. No, no, is Ivan coming? We need one more man. You're a quiet Ivan, sorry. Is he coming? All right. All right. Turn around and look at these big blokes. They're quite spectacular, aren't they? Show us your muscles, boys. (laughs) 
There's always one in the bunch. <laughs> okay, Ashton, hang on. <laughs> All righty. Now, this, is there seven brothers there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now, there was another brother, though, and his name was David. Right, so Isaac, you can be David. Come here, stand up. But you, you're out there. But he was not invited along to this big party. So Samuel comes along and he looks at the biggest. Who's the biggest? Buffiest. Josh muscles. <laughs> Hairiest. <laughs> and Samuel goes, does he look kingly? He's, he's very kingly. Kids, do you think he's looking very regal and kingly? Yes, yes. Now, nothing personal because this is really ebb. It's not, you know, it's ebb for a moment because Christian has a lovely heart. But, all right. And, and Samuel goes, oh, he must be. Look at him. Look at, he's hairy. He's big. He's scary. He'd fight all the Philistines. You're it. And God goes, nah, he's not the one. And so he comes to the next one. You're ebb. Come forward, ebb. Show your muscles. <laughs> Come on. You're a teenage boy. Of course you've got muscles. <laughs> And he goes, he's awesome, he looks good, but he's not the one either. Feet are big. Yep. <laughs> so he keeps on going along. Show your muscles, Stuart. Stu, this is Stuart. Stuart's got muscles, he's got abs. <laughs> and, he go, and he goes, surely. Now, do you reckon he's looking kingly? Surely he's the dude? Absolutely. Yeah, what's on your shirt? <laughs> End of the line. He's end of the line. Surely I'm the one. I'm the man of that. And God goes, no, Samuel, he's not. So one, two, three. Where is this king guy? So he comes along. Ivan. Ivan, he looks very kingly, doesn't he? He's even got the facial hair and, you know, put a crown on him. And God goes, nah, he's not the one. He's not the one. John. Yeah, he's Adelaide Crows. It's all right. <laughs> and he goes, like, look, he's got an awesome smile. He'd get all the girls. <laughs> you know, he's just have his little, you know. And he goes, <laughs> he's had his harem. And he goes, surely God, Samuel says, surely this is the one. And God goes, no. And so he comes, oh, now. Coming to the end of lunch. Does he look, he does look quite kingly, doesn't he? He put a little crown on his head. There's Andy. Is Andy the one? God, this must be. I'm just ready to put the oil on his head and anoint him. And he goes, no. So he goes to the next one, end of the line. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, here's the smooth customer. He's got the gift of the gab. He's even got the dimple. Surely he is the one. (laughs) Does he look kingly? Does he look kingly? He's got the muscles. He thinks he's got the muscles. He's got the muscles. (laughs) He's got dimples. He doesn't need muscles. And Samuel goes, God, surely you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven brothers here. Must be. And God goes, nah. And so Samuel turns to Jesse, your Jesse for a minute, and goes, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he goes, well, yeah. There's the youngest dude, it's Dave, he's out tending the sheep and he says, bring him in here. He got forgotten about. Thank you guys, kingly looking boys, you can sit down now. 
<laughs> and David had been forgotten about. So, guys, if you ever feel forgotten about, <laughs> he's playing his heart. And so they bring David in from back yonder, way, way, way out. Listen. And they chose him. Now, David was very, very little compared to all the other big guys. Stand up. And <laughs> he had been out looking after the sheep. But God saw something. He heard David out there singing his heart out, doing the best job he could, playing his harp. And you know what God said to Samuel? He said, man looks at the muscles and the dimples and the gift of the gab and all those things. God, man looks at what you can do and what you look like on the outside. But where does God look? On the inside at your heart. And so God chose David out of all those big muscly brothers and he chose David to be the next king. And he was just a little kid. He was just out there. He was just a teenager. Yeah? But God saw him. Thanks, guys. So turn around and look at me. I'm talking to the big people too. If you have ever felt like you're not noticed or you are, look at me, guys. If you have ever felt like, does anybody even see me? Does anybody ever notice? Does anybody ever pick me first as a team? You ever go into teams and you go, pick me, pick me? And you sometimes feel forgotten about? Well, God wants you to know this morning, or you get picked last, that he sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees you and he thinks you're special. And, you know, it says in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That he sees everything about us and even if nobody else notices us, God sees you and he thinks you're special. Yeah? He made you. He knitted you together. He thought up what you're going to look like. So when you look in the, mor- in the morning in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth, I want you to say, I'm awesome and Jesus sees me. Yeah? Because he thinks you're awesome and he has a plan for you. Amen? I know it seems like a simple thing to say that, but it's something actually that we really need to grab hold of, that God actually sees us, that he sees us and he loves us. And and that, you know, sometimes we can feel like the world just kind of can overlook us or does anybody even know what we're going through or do they understand us? And and, um, if we've ever been through that, you know, David is a really great encouragement because you look at his story. He was literally stuck out in the field when everybody else was having a party. Have you ever not been invited to a party and everybody else is? Yep. And it's like David, he knew what it felt like and yet it, his heart was still right because it, and he's actually known as a man after God's own heart who whatever God asked him to do, he would do. Whatever God asked him to do, he would do. So it says in Acts about him. What a testimony to the man he was. It says he was known as a man after God's own heart who would do, do God's will. If God said it, he would do it. And there's one thing I want is, is that, God, you asked me to do it, I'll do it. And, you know, it's a work in progress because we can miss things. And if you read my blogs this week, you'll know I missed it. God said, go do this, and I deliberated, and it was too late. The time I figured out I should be doing it. You know, but David, his heart was soft towards God, and he just... He didn't let rejection or people overlooking him or people not noticing him. God, he had a heart that was just like, you know what, God, I'm just going to hang out with you. 
I'm just going to hang out you. And regardless of what anybody else thinks, I'm just going to go after you. So he would sit out in the fields playing his harp and his guitar and singing and worshipping God. And because of that, his heart didn't get messed up. Because we have to decide what matters most to us. Whose opinion matters most, God's or man's? Because if God's opinion matters most to us, then we're not going to be taken out or disappointed or broken by other people's rejection or overlooking of us. If God's opinion matters most to us, then we will follow whatever he asks us to do, even if that costs us, even if that means that people forget about us, we don't get invited, that it's his opinion opinion that matters most to us. And when we do that, God, God sees. He sees. He sees us. And I just want to encourage you, any of the little ones, that sometimes they, they, don't, they don't think we notice them, but, you know, we do. And God sees them. He sees what they're going through and he sees what each one of us is going through. And if we just, that his opinion matters more to us than anybody else's. If we can get to that, then nothing's going to bother us. Did you have anything else to add? We'll have communion. <laughs> so I just thought we could have communion. We'll leave the kids out there this morning. Um, and just... Thanks, Sharon. Just really take a few moments to just close your eyes and think through your week. And have you felt, if you felt like you've been overlooked or you're just like it's been a tough week or, or you just, does God actually know what I'm going through? That he actually does. He sees us. He sees what we're going through and he loves us and he notices us and he's got a plan for us. Just like, you know, David was the youngest of seven brothers and back then that was like you're down, you know, (laughs) way down the line of any benefits. But God always has a benefit. And he says, and it says in the word in Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all our sins and heals all our um, diseases, who crowns our head with loving kindness. And satisfies our life and with good things. And our mouth with good things. And uh, just thank him. And, you know, just give. If you've had a, a moment of rejection or does God even see me this week? Just to go, thank you, God, that you do see me as we take communion. I just want to talk briefly. Um, so I'll do the offering after the sermon because I want to talk about money. Now, this week I um, had occasion in... Um, one of the groups that we miss, mix into just um, it's a, a Facebook type group that we're using across the nation for certain things, and I really felt just to share with them and encourage them um, around money. And this is a interesting group. You know, you get certain groups on Facebook, and you know, you always know who's going to like what and who's going to comment. And there's those people who always make a comment and always like things. You know what I mean? And this is a this is a fairly new group of just people connected around um, just certain things to do with God that we're invited to be a part of and just to encourage them with. And, and yeah, they make these posts and there's always people jumping in, making posts and doing their bit. And um, the organiser of this, this group just said, look, can you, because they didn't want to be the one making a comment all the time, they said, can you just make a comment around, um, just around money and encouraging them around, you know, around their giving and it's about partnering in with a couple of people and just, just get involved. I said, sure, happy to do that, you know, because that's part of what we do, yeah? Giving and so on. So I put this post up and the group went silent. And Dan and I sort of looked at each other and went, ah, oh. now the problem with Facebook is it tells you who's seen the post. <laughs> and you can see one by one they were looking at it and there were no comments. 
there were no likes. I thought, I'm glad I'm not attached emotionally to Facebook because, you know, could really go through some rejection phase. And, and it took a day before one of the group who, one of these ladies who always makes a comment, she saw the post because she hadn't been on and she saw the post and, and she made this wonderful supportive comment and it was, you know, and put the like in there and she was it. And I thought, wow. You want to offend somebody? Talk about money. You know, and we just successfully probably offended the whole group. (laughs) You know, and I'm sitting there going, boy, you know, I understand why these people are where they are and why in some ways they're stuck where they are. And a lot of these people have stepped out of churches not necessarily because God led them, but because they got offended. And, and we've even found through other things that we're doing, it seems to be just floating around our world at the moment, but we come across a lot of people who have stepped out of church because they don't want to be told what to do and because they're getting offended around money. And I even had someone say this week, not to me directly, but through another source, um, you know, we, we shouldn't be paying pastors. They should just sort themselves out. And I'm going, wow. And one of the things about what we're stepping into and, and the new move that God's doing now is that it's very easy to get... Let me just back up a little bit. One of the characteristics, I guess, of what God is doing now is that he's really wanting to empower what we call the priesthood of all believers. In other words, it's not about the person who is in leadership or at the front. It's about everybody being empowered. And that's what we talk about here. You know, and we say to you, look, if God's speaking to you, jump up and, and say something. You know, if you get it wrong, well, then we'll wear that. We'll work through that and you know, we can talk about that. But I'd rather you get up and make a mistake than not get up at all. Yeah, And there's been a couple of times where people have got up and they've said something and afterwards they've actually come and said, you know what, I think I was off. And we've been able to go, yeah, you were. You know what I mean? But that's okay. And so we talk through and why that happened and you know, they get up the next time and they're not off. Because sometimes you're flowing in what God's doing and sometimes our world gets in and we hear the wrong voice. But if you don't ever step up and step out, you don't ever discover. But see, God was smart because he said, you know what, I will put leadership within my church to be able to encourage you and facilitate you to be able to grow and be able to cover your mistakes. Because God's not actually anti-structure. And that's one of the, the, the challenges that's happening with what God's doing now is he may be taking out the control of some of the leadership of the church, but he's not necessarily taking apart the structure. He might be rearranging it. But what we're stepping into is about not controlling. But there's no abdication of leadership. And, and that's been a real struggle, I know, for Dale and I, as we've worked through that and going, what does leadership as a church mean? And I was sitting down the other night, and, and um, I think I was sharing last week that God woke me up at you know, 12 o'clock, and he's sitting there, last Saturday night, going through all this stuff, and then he woke me up at 5 o'clock. I wasn't happy with that one. He didn't do it last night, thankfully. 
but he's doing it last week. But one of the things he showed me was Hebrews 13 was all about actually honouring those in leadership of the church, that those he's placed in authority. And it's important that we recognise that there is leadership in the church, that God has structure, and his reason for that is manyfold, but one of the reasons is protection. Somebody has to be able to govern over what's going on. I mean, heaven has a structure. It has a hierarchy. We're part of a kingdom. We're not part of a democracy. And that's really important to understand. We don't go the other way and say, well, hey, we all just get a say. And we all... It doesn't work like that. We're actually a kingdom. We all just do what the commander-in-chief says. That's how it works. And I'm not the commander-in-chief for those who are wondering. That's God. <laughs> okay? So anyway, getting back on topic, because I know I'm slightly off, but hey. I want to talk a little bit about money. Is that all right? Because there's a shift coming out there, and it's not only to be recognised by the prophetic voice in the church and spiritually, it's actually starting to be recognised by some of the financial gurus of this world. That there's actually a major crash coming. It's been prophesied for probably about three or four years now, all right? Um, and if you, then you start talking to a financial analyst, they'll tell you that it's on its way. Now, you may be feeling like we're in a depression now. What's coming is greater. I don't say that to scare you, so don't get into fear, please. But you need to recognise it's coming. Can I give you one example of... Um, we've been in, I know you may not think it's true, but we've been in what they call a bull market or a, fi- a positive financial market for about nine years. All right? They've never had a bull market for 10 years, ever. This is year nine. All right? So that's one of the things that's freaking people out because they're going, it has to fall apart somewhere. But I think there's also a pressure, and we talked about this a couple of times, but there's a pressure coming on the church. And one of the messages that I really believe that God is pushing into us is that we need to learn how to be independent financially. Because what I discovered through this group is that they're into stepping into what God has, they're into um, ascending, they're into getting into the heavenlies and having a good time but they're not into the practicalities and the outworking of that here on earth. Well, they are, but only in certain dimensions. And we need to be a balanced people. We need to be people who can step into the heavens and govern, but we also need to be able to bring that governing into effect here on earth. And I find the biggest issue that faces people is usually money. Yeah? If I find marriages when they fall apart or relationships when they fall apart, nine and a half times out of ten, it's over money. And the other half usually started with money and then something else came in there. All right? The biggest thing that people worry about, the thing they worry about the most is usually money or finance related. Anyone want to disagree with that? Cool. And yet the thing that's least talked about in church is money. The thing that people get most offended about is money. Do you see that there's maybe not a balance here? That if, you know, if we were sitting here and everyone was concerned about money this week and we never talked about money, 
and yet I know that I get criticised and, you know, Dale gets criticised and, you know, if people could happy, they would happily crucify us because we talk about money. Because they get offended by it. And so I really love staring people who buy my book, especially those I know who have a problem with money. Because I put the reference in the book of every book I've signed as 3 John 2, which says, anyone know what it says? John wrote this. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things. Get that? Above all things. Above all things. That you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Because that's God's plan. See, the word prosper is not just money. Prosper actually says that going well in every area of your life. That's what prosper is. So you could be a multi-billionaire and be dying of cancer. That's not prospering. Yeah? You could be as healthy as you could have a nice bank balance and your family's falling apart. That's not prospering. To prosper is to have everything going well in every area of your life. And I find for a lot of people, it starts with the money. Because the problem is they start worrying about money and then out of that worry, they then react to their spouse or they react to their kids and the family falls apart. Or they're worrying so much that through worry, they allow sickness into their life. And they end up with a broken family, a broken bank account and a broken body. Yeah? But he says that we need to prosper, John says, even as your soul prospers. We need to prosper our soul. And the key way you prosper your soul is actually, my revelation for the week, is by walking in love. Now the thing about walking in love is, that's hard. Yeah? Because we're told to walk in love when it's not loving towards us. You know, Jesus said amazing things like, love your enemies. He didn't just say, love your enemies. He said, do good to them. Isn't that just so Jesus, you know? And I'm sitting there this week and I'm going, God, that's really hard. It's really hard to love people who don't do good to you. It's really hard to love people who don't speak well of you. It's really hard to love those who aren't loving towards you. It's difficult, isn't it? But you know, God's got an answer for everything, which is one of his frustrating qualities. Don't you think? Because he said in 1 John chapter 5, and if you want to know about love, read 1 John. All right, It's written by John, who is, he's the one who leant back on Jesus' chest. He was so close to John, to Jesus. He was probably the closest disciple. He's one of the first guys that were recorded in great detail stepping into heaven. And he talks, he writes a book. And what does he write about? He writes about love. And he says in 1 John 5 verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know what he says to us? It's not hard to love people. Anyone agree with that? I find it easier to love people who love me. You know, I love you all. 
But that's easy because you all love me, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll just remember that when you want something next time. And it's not hard to love people that love you. But when they, people rub you the wrong way, when people push the boundaries and they overstep the mark and you go, I just want to slap them across the head and say, grow up. You ever had those people in your life? Is it, is it a day where you don't have those people in your life? Actually, no. But he says to love them. And in loving them, we actually then step ourselves into that place where God can do amazing things. This is the command. In fact, Jesus said, look, let me summarize the whole of the Bible, everything the prophets have said. Let me summarize all of history to you. It's in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And they go, well, well, let's get this. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says it's the person that you don't like. It's the person that doesn't like you. What's this got to do with money? Absolutely everything. Because he says in Romans 13, this is good old Paul. I'm just running by, you know, card bookmarks here, so that's right, isn't it? Let me read to Romans 13. And this is a really challenging scripture for those of us who have a mortgage or a debt. Paul writes, owe no one anything. Do you know that? That's challenging, isn't it? Because my first thought is, how do you buy anything? How do you buy a house? But here she says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So you want to fulfill all that God has for you to do? You want to fulfill every command he has for you? Love. Isn't that powerful, isn't it? You fulfill everything that was ever written. Missed him, getting bitten by mozzie. If you want to fulfill everything that's ever written in the Bible, love. Now, this doesn't mean that you go out and be a doormat, all right? Put this in balance. It doesn't mean you just take whatever the world throws at you. But it does mean that you need to be in communion with God so that he can show you how to act in love in every situation. Because sometimes you've got to do tough love. Other times you've got to walk in a gentle love. And that comes out of our relationship with him. And this is why it's important to be stepping into heaven. Because as you step into heaven, as you engage with the Father, as you're one in Jesus, out of that relationship with him, his love comes through. You can't do it on your own. It's his love flowing through you that will give you wisdom and discernment when you deal with people in how to act in love towards them. Does that make sense? And when you walk in love, then you open yourself up to his blessing.
Let me take you to Second Kings chapter 4. Because this is where we need to then step into the miraculous of what God wants to do. You see, when you start walking in love, when God says, I can trust you because you're abiding in me and I'm abiding in you. He says in John 15, John says, look, when you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want and it'll be done. And I think that it is a determined mosquito. There he is. I got him. I love you, mosquito. Love you to death. Determined. So you've got to be like a mosquito. Determined. To walk in love. Now what was my train of thought there? Sorry? Two Kings 4. Ah, Yes. As you, as you walk in love, you actually open your way up to the miraculous of God working through you. you know, one of the things I hear people say is, I want to be able to do the amazing things that Jesus did. I want to do what the apostles did. I want to do what they did through the Old Testament. I want to walk in the power of God. The key to walking in the power of God is to walk in love. And the key around that is to abide in God and to be in love with God so much that there's less of you or more of him. And as we abide in him, so the thing is that when you start to abide in him, he starts to reveal your heart. He starts to reveal those things in your life. And you have a choice when you abide in him to either open those areas up to him and let him deal with them and heal them or to shut them off. And if you shut them off, then you shut God out of a section of your life and you actually shut yourself out of a section of heaven. Because there are certain parts of heaven you can't walk in unless you deal with things in your life. But what I find as we step through what God is doing now is that people are coming face to face and they go, I'm too scared, I'm too afraid, it hurts too much. I don't want that open, I don't want that exposed. And their fear of other people is greater than their fear of God. And so they hold back and they miss what God has, and yes, they engage heaven, but they never see his power manifest here on earth because they can't step into all they have in heaven. Does that make sense? He requires total and absolute surrender from us. And so as we step through this process, he is going to put his finger on things in your life But as he does, it's so he can heal it and release it. God is not out to embarrass you. Do you know that? He actually wants to treat you with dignity and respect. But he'll also do what he has to do to heal you and make you whole. And that starts internally. So that you can then handle what he has for you. And you become like someone... Like Elisha. Now, Elisha, we look at Elisha and Elijah, and they're pretty amazing guys. God did some amazing stuff for them, and it's really easy to go, oh, that was them. But you know what? We're under a better covenant than what they were under. And Jesus actually said, you know, the things that I've done, 
He says, you will go and do more. But I want to look just really briefly. Can I do five minutes on provision? And we'll unpack this another time. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Kings. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of prophets cried out to Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And what happened was Elisha had a school of prophets, right? And they would go out there and they'd build this little building and they'd look after him and they would get paid through the ministry of Elisha. Now the problem is that she's dead. Sorry, he's not dead. The husband's dead. And he was one of the, part of the school of prophets and he's died. And she says, You know, your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So they're in debt. They owe some money. She can't pay it. So the price is that her two sons have to go and be slaves to the person they owe the money to until they paid off the debt. Right? So she comes to Elisha and says, hey, he worked for you. Now he's dead. We've got debt. I can't pay it. What are you going to do about it? Now, if you go to a company today and say that, they will say, do you want? Should have had insurance. Yes, they work for us, but no longer works for us, so therefore no longer our responsibility. Stick it up your nose. Yeah? <laughs> in fact, you know those entitlements we're going to give you, we're not giving those anymore, you don't deserve them. Whatever. All right? Because that's how the world works. The world system says, too bad. But God doesn't. God looks at you and he says, like Elisha, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Really important statement there. What do you have that God has given you? Can I say the key to get through what is going to happen over the coming years? And I reckon we've got about five years to get ourselves sorted. And five years is not a very long time. Because I think it'll start happening within that time. But I reckon we've got five years to be totally debt-free, five years to be independent of the government. I think they're two carriers. Five years to be able to know how to pull things out of heaven. I don't say that to scare you. I don't want to freak out. I'm encouraging you. God has a way and he wants to show you that way. And he is saying to you, what do you have in your hand? What do you have in your house? He said it to Moses. When Moses came to the Red Sea and he's standing there and the Egyptian army's on that side, the Israelites in between, the Red Sea on this side, and he's going, what do I do, God? And God says, stop standing still. What do you have in your hand? In other words, use what you have, get a move on. And he goes, well, I've got a staff, which he's done all these miracles with, and he goes, cool, let's part the water with it. In this situation... He says to the woman, what have you got? She says, I haven't got anything except some oil. At least she recognised what she had. She had a little jar of oil. Now you may look at what you have and you go, it is nothing. And as far as this world is concerned, it's nothing. It's insignificant. But what you have is what God has given to you to do his miracle through you. The problem is we have to get our eyes off this world system and our eyes onto God's system and go, okay, God, show me how to use what I've got. And that's the message I want you to take home today is walk in love and ask love, which is God, how to use what you've got. Because what he's given you is intentional. 
What he's placed within you is intentional. Whether it's an ability, it's a skill, it's a resource, whatever it is, whatever he's put into your hand, he wants to show you how to use it in a supernatural way. Not a natural way, a supernatural way. And we have to get our head out of this world system and into the system of God and go, God, how do I use it? And he will show you if you will abide in him. She says, I've got a little oil. The rest of the story is, he goes, great, go and grab empty pots, empty vessels from all your neighbours, as many as you can fill, just fill your house with them. So she goes around, she gets all the Tupperware containers. Every pot, every pan, every, oh, every spare container she can get from her neighbours. And she brings them into her house. And she takes her little jar of oil, and Elijah says to her, Elijah says to her lock the door behind her. You know why he said that? So that she didn't nosy neighbours. You know, she's gone and borrowed all this stuff. And they're going, what's she up to? So they're going to come stick their nose in while she's doing the miracle. And you know what they say when they walk in? You're crazy. What are you doing? That's not going to happen. Oh, careful, it's going to run out. See, sometimes you've got to shut the world out. Shut the world out and get in with God. Stop listening to what everyone else around you says. Because they don't have your revelation. They don't have your resource. They don't have your miracle. God has it and he's put it inside you. So she shut the door and they start pouring. Just this little bottle of oil. And suddenly it fills up every container in the house. You know what I love about this? Because she comes back to Elisha. She goes back to God. The miracle has happened and her first response is not to go, you beauty, you don't have to do with this. It's to go back to God and say, what do I do with what you've given me? We need to do that. When the miracle starts working, you've got to stay in contact with God. Don't step out. Too many people do that. They step out and they miss what God wanted to do. Elisha says to it, really simple. He says, go and sell it. Sell the oil, pay off your debt, and I love this, live off the rest. She wanted to get out of debt. God took care of the rest of her life. You see, when you get into God's way of doing it, he will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask, think, dream, or imagine. I really want to encourage you as we go through this season of learning how to step into heaven, of how to get in there. It is going to be scary. It is going to confront things in your life that you don't want to confront. It is going to push your buttons. It is going to be difficult sometimes. And I know some of you find it hard to engage heaven. Some of you find it difficult. You think, I can only go this far. I can only see this much. You need to keep pushing on because your miracle is on the other side because as you engage heaven, he is going to pull you out and put more of him in so that you are walking with him always. And you won't be the widow looking for the miracle. You'll be the Elisha doing the miracle because that's where God wants you to be. We've spent too long identifying with the poor in the Bible. It's time to identify with the miracles in the Bible and the miracle workers because that's who you are and that's where God's taking you. We've got to stop saying, I can't do it. I've got nothing. I'm nothing before God. You've got to stop looking at your past because that is not who you are. Who you are is who Jesus says you are. And every time you talk differently, you insult him. 
has a miracle working power he wants to do through you. He has given you the resources. The key to that is engaging heaven and walking in love. I feel like putting the end of this to be continued. Because <laughs> he's got more, yeah? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You are a powerful and almighty God. Lord, I thank you for what you have put in our hand. I pray, teach us to use what you put in our hand. Teach us to use the resources. Give us the revelation as we push into you. Give us the revelation of how to use what you've given us for your glory, for your honor, for our provision, and to be a blessing to others. We want to honor you. We want to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.